0: Welcome to Movie Go Round, the podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Prime Flix Roulette. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for the next spin of the Netflix slash Amazon Prime Roulette Wheel, Nicole Davis, how are you?
1: I'm good. Um... Usually when we record, you know, I I typically have a glass of wine or maybe if I'm feeling particularly sassy, I will have a scotch on the rocks. And tonight I decided that I should talk stone cold sober because I have learned you should never get drunk while you're angry because that's when you do the really stupid stuff. (laughs) So... Yeah, so I'm going to be tackling this with uh, just water to help get me through it, so please bear with me.
0: Well, there you go. That'll that'll limit the amount of things I have to edit from a potentially angry Nicole out of the episode, so future me thanks you for that. David Luzader, how are you?
2: Ugh, Brett, I'm so happy to be here and just, uh, oh, sorry, hold on, I'm getting a phone call. Uh, Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, sell it all, sell it all. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, great, great. Or we're in a position to make a lot of money on this one. Great. Uh oh, Brett, I'm so sorry about that. It's just, you know, like I said, it's really nice to be here. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm getting another phone call. Hold on. Yeah, no, no, no. No, buy. I want you to buy it all. Buy buy it all up. No, I don't want I don't want kids on the street getting in on this one. No, buy it. Buy it all right now. Okay. Oh Brett, I am so sorry. Like I was saying, just it's really good to be here. God damn it. Hold on. Sorry. I'm so sorry.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
2: yep uh-huh and the movie we watched was- uh-huh. and i'm uh, I'm broke so happy to be here
0: <laughs> yeah yeah wonderful uh oh my god that scene okay we we're told' we'll talk about that along with everything else with Wall Street money never sleeps we watched. A sequel. (laughs) Um, A sequel to a movie we didn't watch. (laughs) To a movie we didn't watch. To a movie that David has never seen. So at least one person on the panel totally blind. Um, Before that, however, I do want to introduce next week's movie. It is a future classics pick that has to be something that has come out 2011 and onward that one of us is choosing to make an argument that it will be a classic in some way, shape, or form. Uh, It's my pick this go-around, and I picked... tarantino film and i i struggled guys because tarantino he's i know he's a polarizing director and he has his better films and his not so great films but he's had a couple good ones in the last decade but i decided to bring us our second tarantino film with once upon a time in hollywood so if you'd like to check that out for an even longer movie than this week you can (laughs) next week sorry guys
1: but that's a movie where you at least like some of the people who are in it.
0: Oh yeah, no, there's there's likable people in it. I mean, give me some what, Cliff. What's his name? Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth. Give me Cliff Booth all day long. Yeah,
2: and and one of the in one of the best movie dogs. We will get to talk about one of the oh, best yes. movies. Oh,
1: absolutely, excellent movie dog. And one of the
0: best movie dog scenes that I think entirely scared my mother off from watching the movie. <laughs> I was like, there's a little bit of a mauling. Uh, <laughs> Small bit. In any case, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps came out in 2010, not eligible for a future classic for many reasons, but also because it's outside of 2011. As the global economy teeters on the brink of a disaster, a young Wall Street trader partners with disgraced former Wall Street corporate raider Gordon Gecko on a two-tiered mission to alert the financial community to the coming doom and to find out who was responsible for the death of the young trader's mentor. Uh, I,
2: I take I, I'm button in early because I take uh, <laughs> issue with that summary because it makes it sound like the movie is a lot of scenes of Shia LaBeouf and, and Michael Douglas coming together to like plan this out. Uh, but that like Michael Douglas is barely in the first hour of this movie. Yes.
0: OK, so right. <laughs> I had
2: a
1: hard time finding a summary that A was short enough to use as a summary oh. and the- B actually accurately right. portray this movie. I mean, right. these two things are true. Gordon Gekko is, writes a book about how there's this coming doom and they sh- people should listen to him on how to move their investments so they don't go down with it. And then Shia LaBeouf is trying to confirm his suspicions that this other company was responsible for artificially tanking his company's stock price and thereby prompting the suicide of his mentor-
0: oh frank langella because i don't know any of the people's names in this movie besides the three main characters
2: no and and i should say i would take an issue with any uh any summary because this movie is so meandering
0: Uh, it is just it truly (laughs) is so
2: like like this is an issue with the level that oliver stone had gotten to by the time he got to this movie that they were just like okay sure two hours 15 minutes yeah whatever every scene that you want to do sure do every single how useless is that scene we don't care just do it, Oliver Stone, and just pad this thing out.
1: Yeah, and the original Wall Street is like, you know, don't bump, bump, moves right along. There are a couple places where it slows down, but it's it's engaging, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Oliver Stone, so so I've had a lot of podcast discussions about Oliver Stone movies because I used to do a podcast called Silver Screens in Politics, which is all about political Uh, oriented films and spoiler alert we watched like seven of his (laughs) (laughs) because he just is the guy that makes them and 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 yeah like like there's a (laughs) there's a progression of how meandering and how self-indulgent his directing has become i do want to mention this off the top of the show though one of my discussion topics was that like all things said and done michael douglas still embodies the the stone cold but tactful swagger if that's a word for it like of gordon gecko like that makes him an appealing character to follow despite being the villain but his performance can't save the fact that the story doesn't justify him being in it because the entire movie like david said He's just playing financial Yoda to Shia LaBeouf. He just shows up and gives him little tidbits of wisdom and then disappears into a zoo. Like, literally. <laughs> and like, and it, it, it is so inconsequential, aside from the final twist of the movie to create a little oh. bit of drama. Like, he could be dead. The entire movie could happen almost the same. If he is dead and Shia LaBeouf is dating or engaged to his daughter and she's grappling with her dead father's legacy rather than her dead father getting out of prison and potentially trying to rekindle something with her, um, it would be mostly the same. It could have been anybody. This movie assumes you know who
2: Gordon Gecko is and care at all about Gordon Gecko. Well, to be mm. fair,
0: <laughs> there was an original movie where he's a very popular movie villain.
2: Yes, but I'm saying this movie came out many, many years later. You have to assume a certain number of people seeing this would not have seen the original. Yeah. Then again, look at the box office numbers maybe they didn't uh, expect that. So I don't know. But yeah. what I mean is, like, it could, like you said, it could have been anybody. It could have been. Any character is the one coming to him being like, ah, oh, yes, I have this knowledge about Wall Street, and I can I tell you these things. I mean, it could have been, I don't know, and I don't care, it could have been Charlie Sheen's character from the first movie. Like, anybody would have easily, just as easily fit into those roles, except for the bad, <laughs> bad family drama. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> Section that off, because we'll talk about that in the second half of the show, because it's like the second half of the movie. But yeah, it's bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. While we're on Michael Douglas, I just I spent a goodly percentage of this movie trying to decide if he's so good that it he makes it look like he's not even trying <laughs> or, or if he wasn't even trying.
0: Is this like the fitting into the old set of shoes of, of Han Solo and you can't really tell whether or not Harrison's there because he's just really good at being Han Solo or if he just doesn't care?
1: It, yeah, <laughs> kind of like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think... I, I'd like to believe it's the former. I mean, this is like the... Def- this is... Is it the defining role of his career or... Do, or probably.
1: It's one of the biggest roles. Yeah. One of the
0: biggest. and And he seems to slip into it like an old suit. He seems to really... Like, like that's the part I do like. Is like Gordon Gecko, the quick witted, um, the way he's written, I think holds a candle fairly well to the original Gordon Gecko. And the greed is good. Um, you don't ever get a line like "greed is good." Um, this movie fails to live up to the promise of being as quotable as the first one. Is greed good? Is greed good? Well, there's one line at the beginning where he's like, "speculation is." the devil or something like that. <laughs> and apparently like the actual broker that gave him that quote actually said that leverage is the problem, not speculation, and then he was pissed that Oliver Stone changed the quote. <sighs> I digress. I still think he's reasonably well written for the character that he's supposed to be continuing. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I just I just yes. <laughs> don't understand why he's in the movie because like and we'll get into the family drama later. He's the
1: best written character of the
2: movie. Well, because because Oliver Stone wanted to make a movie about the 2008 financial crisis and mm-hmm. thought that people would see it if he threw Gordon Gekko back in there. This is just my assumption. Or like he was inspired, like, ah, what would Gordon Gekko have to say about this? And it turns out, uh, who cares is the answer to that question. <laughs>
0: Okay, so so this leads me to my biggest rant, and I apologize if this takes me a minute to get through. The problem I often have with Oliver Stone, and he does this in so many of his movies, is he says, I want to make a movie about Snowden. I want to make a movie about 9-11. I want to make a movie about the 2008 financial crisis. And then he just... I read one review. I think it was the New York Times. where They said like he looked the 2008 uh, crisis in the eye and blinked. Like he had the idea and then totally went, went off to the side because nothing in this movie feels human about that 2008 crisis with the exception of the suicide at the beginning of the film of Frank Joe's character. Yes. And that one isn't enough. You have this movie where it's trying to give you the impact and the severity of how horrible this economic downturn is and how lives are being ruined, except it doesn't show you any of it. And even the turmoil that the main character goes through, he's still able to float his mom hundreds of thousands of dollars for her flailing real estate business. The people that are hurting in this movie are still financially stable and solvent. And it's insane to me that he missed the mark so heavily to make a movie about an economic recession without showing any hardship.
1: Yeah, it doesn't show any of the people who lost their entire life savings or whose retirement funds went bankrupt like a year after they retired and they were forced to go back to work or all the people who lost their homes as a result of these predatory lending practices and bad loans that were given out like left, right, and center. And, and I'm just, you know, I, he's looking at the wrong people i mean he's looking at the right people if you want to give like an analysis of how this happened but the message he's trying to give is conflicting with the point of view he's he's telling the story in Mm -hmm. so like you know the main problem is the characters and i just want to want to read back the notes i put in my slack chat as i was watching this because (laughs) this this is my central problem with the movie started wall street 2 god i hate these people Ugh, why should I care? I don't know if I'm going to make through this. Why should I care? <laughs> Jesus, it's, Mary and Fred, how are there more than 15 minutes left in this movie? Oh my ugh, God. Just, ugh. Hope you guys like David Byrne. Like he's with
2: it. <laughs> oh, God. When I got into the last 20 minutes of this movie, I was incredulous. I looked at the time. And it was like, yeah. what else is there to do? There is nothing mm-hmm. else
0: you can justify oh. doing. In this movie, they have to fix the entire family dynamic in 10 seconds.
1: You know what? There's time to do there's time to crowbar in a happy ending.
0: Oh, yes, oh, that's everyone, what those
1: last few minutes
2: are for. Everyone except Josh Brolin, which by the way, I need to call out in Josh Brolin, in one of his most forgettable performances, and that's not on Josh Brolin, it's entirely in like the writing and directing for that character. But there is a scene early on before I, 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 I you know, we've established never seen this, didn't care to see it. Uh, I didn't know if Josh Brolin was in this. And there's just this scene. The first time you see him, is uh, his character is leaned back in a chair and then he leans forward in, like, in this menacing way of like, Josh Brolin is here. And I'm like, okay, well now
0: <laughs> we're talking. Oliver Stone loves shooting Josh Brolin. It's just like his thing. <laughs> there's W, there's a ton of them. I mean, with a
2: jaw like that, I think one thing that really also goes to that, it fails to capture any heart, is that you have two separate people in this movie say that uh frank langella's suicide is brave and correct that, oh, that there is like no sympathy for the fact that he killed kills like yes that was the right thing for him to do right which was insane to me that at no point shia labeouf was like no that's bad he shouldn't have killed himself
0: <laughs> right Shiloh. love
1: You know, given what I'm going through, he had enough money to live on still and could <laughs> have been comfortable for the rest oh, of his God. life.
0: Would have been fun. And that's where you're totally right, Nicole, uh, is that it's focusing on the wrong people because he, he wants to make a movie that shows you the ramifications of the first film's greed is good mantra. He wants to try to show you, here's what happens when we follow that through 15, 20, 23 years on and he wants to have that connection of showing you the plight of everyone suffering from this recession, but also wants to make a worse version of the big short. Yes. And you just can't have it both ways. And
1: no, I give him credit for wanting to link those two because yeah, it was, you know, the Reagan era and the massive amount of deregulation that happened while he was president that started this whole, train rolling of investment banks often being given carte blanche to package whatever quote unquote products they wanted to sell to consumers or, you know, try to push as investments where the biggest winner, of course, is the investment bank and not the actual people making the deals, the people who would, would benefit from the profits
2: yeah i i also wanted to mention the big short uh because it's obviously the it's a better movie about what he's trying to do here and also because it manages to humanize like throughout the movie the characters who profit off of all of this very clearly they recognize what they're profiting off of there it is a constant point of conversation of like A lot of people are about to get screwed over by this. There's some conversation at the end of, you know, Steve Carell's character in The Big Short takes a long time to sign the paper to get his money because he's like, this is really messed up. He still goes through with it. It's super messed up. But he at least has a moment where he recognizes, I am profiting off of so much suffering. Where in this movie, the suffering happens. I'm supposed to feel bad for Josh Brolin? Right.
1: Yeah, who's going to go to white-collar prison for yeah. maybe five years and will still be rich when he comes out?
0: Exactly. <laughs> right. Big short we will return to at some point, I I suspect.
1: If he accounts in the Cayman Islands or something, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just... And, and, Nicole, you mentioned in this discussion topic that you, you not only do you have no empathy for any of these characters, but the one character that should be written to have a level of empathy for them is Winnie, yeah. his sure. daughter. Except a couple things and and I'm going to read off some of your discussion topics here Nicole I don't want to be with someone like my father then why are you dating an investor sorry that was David's discussion topic point stand so when she, like she's when so she's she's not it's hard to have empathy for her because she just puts herself in the middle of all of it she says the line, I don't want to be with somebody who's like my father. Then why are
2: you dating somebody who invests for a living? You can avoid those people. <laughs> it's not impossible to avoid those people. Why are yeah. you dating him? <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And why does she agree to have dinner with her father who's come out of prison? Why does she agree to go see her toxic dad? She was perfectly wise to stay away from him. And we'll talk later about whether her anger over her brother's death is justified you know her anger at her father about it it's still her feelings are perfectly valid. Right. There's no reason she should agree to see her father except that the investment banker she's living with has asked her to because he's secretly been talking to her father behind her back
0: and that's the thing like the real villain of this movie is Shia LaBeouf because (laughs) like I don't care that he's that his heart is he's ridden to have his heart in the right place throughout this movie yeah I was
1: gonna say you know it's like who cares that he's pro clean energy
0: right but he does nothing for of of consequence to help people in this movie most of all her like let's not forget that in the crux of this story when they discover that she has a hundred million dollars sitting in an offshore account from her father that he left there in the 80s for her and that she had once agreed when she was 14 to give to him and he's still salty about that we'll return to that in a moment he just comes to her and says hey invest this in fusion for me who does this the market is tanking he's losing his money but still giving his mom bailouts and meanwhile the mother of his future child he goes to her and says hey let's spend all of your money on fusion
1: he's the problem uh, this let's throw good money after bad. It, <laughs> okay sorry i've been watching david get apoplectic for the last
0: several just, minutes here <laughs> he's the problem N- none of the bad things that happen to her or anyone else in this movie in particular happen if he doesn't make her put that money away I and mean, he has a maker but she just says yes and who would even ask that my point is he's a very bad partner she should he, have gotten back with him.
2: Their relationship would not have lasted as long as it had. Uh, if it, it she the, the red flags everywhere for her. And at no point does this movie try to show us why their relationship works. Also, it says a lot about Shia LaBeouf in this movie that we got twenty minutes into this movie before talking about the main character <laughs> of the film. But he, the movie, wants us to think Shia LaBeouf is the good guy because oh, he believes in clean energy. But at no point is he like, I believe in clean energy because I want to save the planet. He's like, no, I'm, I'm investing in clean energy because it's the future and that's where the money is. Because I'm just like Gordon Gecko, I'm going where the money is. He never, he's not idealistic. And he even says, I'm not an idealist. I'm a realist. It just, I, I, the, mm, This movie does no effort to make us care about... And it should try to make us care about Shia LaBeouf and think that Shia LaBeouf somehow still is an investment banker, is a good guy. But it just it doesn't. Whereas,
1: I hate the first two minutes he's in the movie when his girl hits the button to open the automatic blinds on the view of Manhattan from their high-rise apartment, and he rolls over and immediately puts the TV on to check the investment forecast for the day. (laughs)
2: his first line is was maddening where she was like, it's time to stop sleeping. He's like, that's a negative. It's say a positive. Like it's time to wake up. And I, was like, and I want to never see ew, him ew. in this movie yeah. again. Like I'm
0: <laughs> done. And see, that's the thing is that in, when asked about this movie, Oliver Stone said he wanted to create a similar dynamic to the first film that Gecko had with Bud Fox, Charlie Sheen's character. Now for, for those that have seen the first film, the part of Bud Fox that makes him redeemable and makes him someone that you have some sympathy for is because the whole first act of the first film focuses on the fact that Bud Fox is a rookie, that he's not making a lot of money, he's not doing a lot of sales, he's working really hard, he's trying to impress Gordon Gecko, and he's finally able to get a shot at the big time, and then the whole movie unfolds into him becoming enamored with the trappings of this lifestyle and making bad decisions, but he doesn't start out that way. You- this character in this movie starts out immediately at like upper tier brokerage management. <laughs> There's nothing likable about his about his rise whereas at least with Bud Fox, Charlie Sheen had that.
2: There's no rise. He starts yeah. off in a, in, a, in a powerful position, and then you have Frank Langella being like, you, you got the hunger, kid. And then uh, Frank Langella dies.
0: And he's given a million dollars. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. He's, <laughs> he's given a multi- million, million dollars at the beginning of this movie. He's given a multi- million and a
1: quarter. And he yeah. immediately uses a quarter to go to Bulgari and get his girlfriend an impossibly garishly huge engagement ring.
2: Yeah. And then and then Josh Brolin shows up and Josh Brolin's like you got the hunger kid and uh, that's kind of about it. That's people just are like yeah you're super great because you believe in fusion energy. Yeah.
1: And I mean I hate Josh Brolin, but at least his char- You're supposed to hate his character. He's right. super good at being immediately hateable. Mm-hmm. You can tell oh, that yeah. he he has this enormous both physical and psychological presence. In the scenes that he's in, but you can tell that his character uses it to bully people and push oh, yeah. everybody into getting his way.
0: And that's a weird thing—is that like his character is supposed to be loosely based on? I, I think it was like the CEO of J.P. Morgan or something like that. Oh, who cares? Um, but he is loosely based on someone. <laughs> and point being is that I think he took this role way more seriously than he had to <laughs> because he lost thirty pounds to like look skinnier to play the role, and I'm like. Sure. I don't know if <laughs> Joshua Brolin 30 pounds heavier in this role changes it, but sure. Uh. Uh, I mean, you know, because
2: he's running uh, running Churchill Schwartz, which is definitely not either supposed to be Goldman Sachs or Charles Schwab. I'm not really sure. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: But I guess they did a good job. Uh, I'll give the movie this. The fake, in- fake investment bank they created at least had a very plausible name because for a minute I had to go, yeah. is Churchill Schwartz real? I wasn't sure
0: yeah uh, so Nicole you you asked in our docket what movies with no likable characters are still good and why <laughs> because this happens to be a film with I think we can all agree really no likable characters yeah I, I actually did some googling because I was like trying to figure out what like other people might think about this sort of thing and a couple good things came up we talked a little bit about the social network a couple weeks ago and how we had a similar conversation that like really no one in that movie is likable. It's still a good movie. Nightcrawler. I kind of hate everyone in Nightcrawler. It's a good yeah. one. The founder. I really like the founder and I'll bring that at some point, but like no one in that movie. Oh No, uh-huh. actually I take that back. The founder has likable characters. It's the two brothers that get screwed.
2: Uh, uh, Requiem for a dream. I wouldn't really call. Mm. Well, I guess the mom, the mom's super sympathetic. So that's a hard one to say actually
0: yeah yeah and i
1: mean i don't love it as much as so many other people love it but i will absolutely agree that goodfellas is an excellent movie but i didn't like any of the characters in it
0: that's fair so Mm -hmm. for sure
1: there are ways to make a film where you don't have likable protagonists because you make either the story super engaging or you make the evil characters Really interesting, or you give them something you, the way you tell the story is done with, you know, at least some craft. Oliver Stone is trying to show craft in this movie. There's this bizarre sequence where Jacob, Shia LaBeouf's character, and Gordon Gecko are on a train and they're having this talk about okay. investments, and it's doing this really weird. Intercutting uh from of like different angles inside the train and like different faces and their reflections in the window and and it's just like what what is this for? You know he's clearly trying to symbolize something and communicate something, but it's not at all clear what that is
0: It's for the artsy flashback and- scene that happens later in the movie that uses that scene <laughs> oh, so much to say about that. Where where idiot yeah. Jake realizes he got duped the second time in the movie? <laughs> oh
1: yes, you could see that coming from up miles away.
0: Both times, <laughs> when it gets to that flashback
2: sequence, is like, huh? See the way Jake was being manipulated. It's like, yeah, I have eyeballs. I was very aware how that was happening.
0: So backing up, you know, he gets he gets manipulated. I mean, here's the thing: I would actually go as far to say that. For all the things that Josh Brolin's character does wrong in this movie, I don't even feel like the apparent slight against Jake is even that bad because they both have this conversation. They're like, yeah, I love money. And then Jake's like, yeah, I love money, too. And I'm not an idealist. And then Josh Brolin's like, yeah, that's why I invested in the thing that was going to make us more money. And Jake was like, you did what? And like that's what gets them upset at each other. but he takes that out as the slight because he expected this money to be invested in this fusion company he cares so much about. but then the second time around, why did he give Gordon Kecko the hundred million dollars? Why didn't yeah. he invest it or for her?
2: Well, because it had to because it was money that he got from his insider trading, so it would have been like immediately seized so it had to be laundered to be able to come back
0: into the states. But they give it back to Gordon and have him invest the $100 million for them into the Fusion Company, which is why he gets it.
1: Well, yeah, because they called- didn't want the yeah. daughter to be legally liable. Oh, right. I forgot
0: about that. Yeah, you're right. Fair enough. So,
1: But it's still dumb.
0: <sighs> sure. <laughs> it's, dumb.
1: it's real dumb for him to expect that any of that money is going to get back to them
2: ever. Mm-hmm. So. yeah they say they say enough things to justify it in the plot, but even just like for i come on, man, this is the guy that went to prison for insider trading. What reason do you have to... You don't know him from before. You don't know him now. You don't know why you have any reason to believe that he's going to be any different. And yet you're like, yeah, sure, I'll give you $100 million. I'll give the movie that.
1: Well, he's communicated clearly who he is in that scene where they have that first dinner together, where Jacob sets up this dinner with Winnie and her father, and... When you he and her father are actually starting to connect, they're having a conversation. They really seem to be tuned into one another, and like they're trying to make some sort of reproachment. And Gordon Gecko spots some mm-hmm. guy he knows with influence coming into the room and interrupts his conversation, like mid sentence. Gets up and schmoozes that guy to try to build a new relationship with him, starting now. And meanwhile, his daughter is left just completely hanging mid-sentence. And that's when you're just like, nope, 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 nope. This is not a good man. This is not a man who has changed significantly. No. You know, don't trust him. Don't keep going to talk to him to try to learn things. It's not worth it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a, the that's a thing I think the movie does kind of get right, is that Gordon Gecko represents the kind of person that, Can talk at you with all the right words to get you to listen to him, and he does Mm -hmm. that fairly effectively throughout this movie. I know part of it is things that Shia LaBeouf's character Jake should have noticed (laughs) and should have expected, but with that said, like this is the smooth-talking broker that you know convinces you to take out a second mortgage in your house.
2: Sure, but like nothing he says is ever to me exceed like Jake, Jake wants to, I guess he even says, he says a line like we want to be lied to. It's like, yeah, man, you do because you willingly walk into everybody who approaches you and is like, Hey kid, I want what's best for you. And you're like, ah, gee, thanks, mister. Here's a hundred million dollars. Oh, you betrayed me. What? I've lost everything three times in this movie.
0: (laughs) I'm going to break into your office and,
2: at
1: least I got this cool tulip behind glass.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. The scene where he goes and finds Gordon Gecko in, in London at the end of the movie, and it's waiting for him in a darkened office so he can turn the light on. Okay. That scene. I'm like, where's
2: the gun? That's what I...
0: <laughs> Which, again,
2: that'd be so much cooler. That's why I looked at the time, and I was like, how is there 20 minutes left in this? But he is there to make a trade. He's like, give $100 million back to Winnie. And and Gecko's like, what do I get? And he shows him a sonogram. There's no further conversation on what he gets. So I am led to believe he is trying to sell Gecko his baby. (laughs) Because he's not like, if you give her the money, I'll make sure you have a relationship with this child. He's just like... Here's a sonogram of my son. Give me a hundred million dollars, and eh?
0: I think it's inferred. But yeah, eh? I mean, he literally
1: the one thing he does say is time. He gives yeah. him the sonogram just like time. So I mean, you could potentially infer that I'm selling you this baby to be ground into powder to make you eternally youthful, kind of thing.
2: <laughs> or like <laughs> you have a billion dollars, transfer your consciousness into this baby. Like there's, I'm just saying, yeah. there's a lot of ways to interpret that scene. <laughs>
1: If this were science fiction movie, sure, I would absolutely yeah. think that's what he meant.
0: Gordon Gecko is just Emperor Palpatine. He can just keep coming back. Uh, <laughs> spoilers. sorry everyone, it's been a year. It's fine. So let's talk a little bit about that family turmoil. I I think this movie does an okay-ish, and the longer it sits with me, I realize it's not very good. Mm. But it, it does an okay job of trying to explore some of the familial turmoil that happens when Gecko leaves his family. I wish they'd flesh that out more to give you more reason for her not to like him, because what I'm frustrated about with her character, and I think there's two sides to this, is that I don't find her anger to be totally founded, in the sense that every single time she has a memory of him, it's like, oh yeah, me and my dad, we used to eat ice cream together, he remembers my favorite desserts or whatever he we'd go out to dinner together she doesn't ever bring up anything bad he did to her aside from going to prison and abandoning the family and i guess what i'm getting at is that you can't just carte blanche blame an absentee parent for everything that went wrong in your life and i say this as someone with an absentee parent (laughs) because i feel that when she comes at him and says if you were around my brother would still be alive I think that is totally unfair because I actually think that Gordon Gecko is reasonably in the right when he points out that sometimes people don't want to be helped and sometimes they can only help themselves. And it's, it's brought up that his, his son dies of an overdose and had it, really terrible drug problem and that's a very real thing in this movie that they try to explore effectively and they don't really do that but he brings up the fact that i sent him the therapist i tried to get him help i was paying off drug dealers on the street to not sell to my boy and it's like okay what do you want of your dad you can only help people so much sometimes so i just feel like her character's excuses to just blame everything that went wrong in her life on her father is not fair
1: i don't know i mean i i don't think that that's something that she can point to with surety, that this is the reason why my brother overdosed. But I think it's fair to think that way if the reason that your brother starts doing drugs is because the family is suddenly destitute, and there's a huge amount of pressure on him, or he's so upset about his father going to prison, and he falls in with quote-unquote friends who get him started on drugs or whatever, you know, that because the dad was notorious and sent to prison, that that kind of pushed him more towards starting drugs in the first place. But I mean, it's also absolutely true that with an addiction, an addiction is a disease process and that sometimes it's going to start, something's going to set it off. If it's not this first thing, maybe it's going to be something two years down the line. People aren't going to get help until they're ready to get help. Right. Right. And sometimes they're never ready, and I mean that's also true enough. But you know, I think I can understand why she would feel that way.
0: Yeah, that that's a good point of view. Yeah,
1: as someone with an absentee parent,
0: absentee <laughs> parents all around. No, I, I I can appreciate that point of view. I just feel like she spends a lot of time blaming him for everything wrong in her life, and I feel like you can't just do that forever.
2: It's it's real heavy stuff, but um, I do want to briefly mention the scene that I have to imagine was inspired when Oliver Stone watched the room because out of left field, (laughs) the revelation comes out that Rudy also had cancer. Rudy like was already doesn't, didn't he say like, it
0: was like a cancer. It was Um, like a cancer. Oh,
2: I miss uh, right. Uh, man, I was paying attention to this movie.
1: <laughs> I don't even remember that line. That the line of I, attention thought, I was paying. This movie.
0: Yeah. He says like, he says it, it kills you like a cancer. Oh, I it. thought
2: he said that like, he had cancer. And so it was just sweeping it under the rug there at the end of like, <laughs> well, he was going to die anyway. You're all I have left. Oh man. That is
0: totally. Yeah. I, I don't know. I totally get where you're coming from, Nicole. And I agree with you as well. And that's one of the failings of the movie is that we don't have enough context as to how this family got along without him.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know. I just, I think it, there's, there's parts of her character that I just find deeply frustrating. (laughs) And one of those things is just this inability to look beyond this thing her dad did. And he did a, you know, he did a bad thing. And, and I think, well, also another thing to bring up, he mentions in this movie that he thinks he had a victimless crime and that's not, I mean, no crime is victimless, but they could have explored that. That could have been an interesting through line. He even makes a comment in this movie about how he was small time compared to the investment bankers that were hedging funds on the 2008 crisis. They could have explored the fact that the greed is good mantra that drove him only hurt other rich people, right? Like they could have, like there's something interesting there and they didn't do any of it.
1: Yeah, although it's not true that it's a victimless crime, you know it was insider trading, which also artificially changes stock prices and affects buy ups and and sell offs, and that. Oh, absolutely. You know, ordinary people who might have invested a few thousand dollars of their savings might have been wiped out by his activities.
0: Hundred percent. I, I guess what I'm saying is like is, I don't know. Could Oliver Stone have gone the route where it was Gordon Gecko gets eight years and then the mandatory minimum pot dealer gets 37 like that's an entirely different movie you get my point though i think like i i don't know
2: yeah yeah i i mean it's like it's like we've talked about before already he does nothing to humanize what these people do like the people that are affect the real people that are affected by it but also doesn't do a good enough job of it's it's just these characters are unlikable they're doing unlikable things uh the people that we're supposed to care about are uninteresting and also like wrapped up in this unlikable world and there's just no refuge in this movie for me to like hold on to and and say at the very least like yeah i'm rooting for them i'm not rooting for anybody in this movie there's nobody to there's nothing to root for sure josh brolin gets his but i don't care at the end the, let's talk about the end scene because talk about a totally useless. That is a the end scene of this movie is uh so Shia LaBeouf and Carrie Mulligan break up, and uh, but she's still pregnant with this with this kid, and he is stalking her, I guess, at the end of the movie. He's like walking behind yep. her, and uh, they have a little conversation as they're walking home. And he's like, I don't know how to fix this, and she's like, I don't know how you can fix it either. And then Michael Douglas shows up and is like, hey, I put that hundred million dollars into that fusion thing for you, buddy, and then walks away and they're like, That fixed it. And they kiss.
0: And <laughs> that's the end of the movie. And it's it is staged like a how I met your mother scene where like he's walking away, she's going up the up to the door, and then Michael Douglas like enters the middle and is like, Hey, kiddos. Yeah. Terrible.
1: Yeah. These characters are not fleshed out enough. They're not detailed enough. There's not enough of their backstories, or at least of the new characters. There's not enough of their backstories that you form any kind of attachment to them. And I don't want this movie to be any longer. uh, (laughs) You know, you could fit that in with a little more judicious editing of other scenes that are overlong and tedious and overly explanatory. And Uh, Do we need to see Shia LaBeouf racing Ducati motorcycles (laughs) with Josh Brolin? Is that that really necessary?
0: I was just about to mention that. You don't want nine minutes of that?
1: You know, it's one of the more attractively shot scenes of the movie, but uh, so what? You know, I don't care. I don't care.
0: (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's a failure of the writing.
0: So, 100%. Uh, Bud Fox does show up, a a puffy Charlie Sheen cameo, as you said, Nicole. He shows up at this fundraiser. I've
1: never quite understood what people meant when they said that someone looked puffy. I always just thought that that meant that the person looked like they had gained weight in the face. But no, he actually looks like puffy. Like if you poked him, your finger would go in like an inch and a half and come back out like he's permanently swollen. And apparently this was the height of his... He was way into using steroid creams and apparently so much so that it got into his bloodstream.
2: We're Um, we're in the
0: tiger blood era.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. He was, he's
0: what a time to be alive. Goodness
1: gracious. I'm just going to point everybody to the Wikipedia article about Charlie Sheen. It's because there's just so much to cover.
0: (laughs) Was that the last like public meltdown of a celebrity that reached like That dramatic of a height? I feel like it might have been
1: that dramatic of a height. Like
0: Tiger's blood was a thing for like
1: maybe. Yeah, I mean Shia LaBeouf has had public meltdowns that have
0: right, but it was gone in like a day. Like I remember Charlie Sheen being like five news cycles.
2: Well, it's because Charlie Sheen just like couldn't stop giving us things. Yeah, (laughs) right. Not stop being like. By the way, here's other ways in which I'm totally off my nut. Yeah,
0: and then he, like, claimed that he cured HIV.
1: Not that he personally cured it, but he had received a cure for Uh, HIV from some, like, quack (laughs) um, doctor. (laughs) This was the era where he was, like, deep into steroids, deep into his drug addictions. You know, he's the only person I ever knew of who injected liquid cocaine rather than snorting it or just switching over to heroin. In his cameo, he's got two women with him as his dates and he was in fact living with two women at oh, the time that's what
0: it was i remember his like <sighs> two like live-in wives that was part of the whole scandal thing right
1: yeah it's just a distraction in this movie
0: yeah it is mm-hmm.
1: and it made me sad because i mean charlie sheen in his heyday which was the mid mid 80s to like very mid, early like, 90s yeah.
0: platoon that sort of stuff he
1: was a good actor he was a solid actor Mm -hmm. and he had this rise and then all of a sudden the movie roles starting worse and worse and worse and it's almost certainly correlated to him getting into drugs and becoming less reliable so i mean i i don't want to say i feel sorry for him because by all reports he's done some really awful things in his life and hurt people and it's very upsetting. Like I said, read the Wikipedia article anyway, but I, I'm always unhappy to see talent wasted. Yeah. And so just seeing him in this cameo made me sad because it's like, he was able to carry off this like two minute, see not even two minutes, like one minute interchange with Michael Douglas and that's it. You know, yep. and then he's gone.
0: Yeah. The cameo also has no consequence, and not that a cameo needs to, but like, okay, so so Bud became a multimillionaire and plays golf and has multiple girlfriends by the looks of it, and is philanthropic, quote unquote, which really in this context just means going the fun parties. I don't know; it, it's not necessary.
2: Uh, Yeah. No, because, because they draw attention to it in such a way that they have a conversation. If it was just, they're at a party and he sees Bud Fox, he sees Charlie Sheen. Okay, cool. That's it. Great. He makes some snide comment to Shia LaBeouf about, ah, that guy. Like, okay, that's like a way to cameo. The way, the fact that they then walk off and have a conversation, you feel like, oh, that's, if something's going to happen as a result, this is going to lead to something. And, uh, nope. Right.
1: Or, you know, Gordon Gecko should be shaken by this encounter in some way and make him rethink maybe something that he's doing. Or, But, yeah, like you said, no. No. There's, there's absolutely no consequences and,
0: and as that, a result
1: of this conversation.
0: Now that I think about it as well, I mean, he goes on a minute later to have his confrontation with Josh Brolin's character. We keep saying, oh, Brett. Breton. As he Breton, Breton. Breton. Ugh. Ugh. um I'm Breton now, mom Breton, <laughs> so, but I think like that's also another one of the failings of the script is that like they just invent this character that wasn't in the first film, and they're just like, oh yeah, he was a huge part of of you going down and uh and Gordon gecko's h- horrible fall, like like he they they make it seem like Breton was very key in that and even informed on him. He's not in the first movie, though, so it just doesn't mean anything. Uh, Yeah, and and I guess that kind of leads me to one of my last discussion topics, which is this is my obligatory, like, not every classic needs to be revisited statement. There's no reason to have a Wall Street 2. Wall Street, as it exists in a time capsule of greed in a 1980s economic lens, works, and there's a reason it's a classic. It's just, we didn't need this. And and, and I'm not saying, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, oh, it ruined the first one, right? I feel like we talk about that a lot when we talk about bad sequels. But why? Because that's my question.
1: Well, I mean, you've already answered that. You know, Oliver Stone wanted to make a movie about yeah. the financial crisis. And I wish he had made a documentary instead.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The- I mean, I was just going to repeat myself for like the fifth time about just (laughs) there's and and, and this thing we've said so many times throughout this is just that there's there's no reason to care about this movie initially, like me having never seen it. You told me, okay, there is a sequel to this 80s movie about an investor went to prison and now he gets out of prison and and I'm like, okay, why do I care? But now I'm watching it because we're doing this podcast in the whole time. I'm it's never justified to me why I should keep watching. I could have turned it off as soon as Shia LaBeouf was like, no, wake, stop sleeping's a negative. Wake up. That's a positive. When I first wanted to turn this movie off, I could have turned it off right there. <laughs> that would have been fine.
1: Okay, like, but actually, I would argue that there there is one reason to watch this movie, and you've got it in here as a topic, David, and that's Eli Walk. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, his last movie. <laughs> yeah, that made me <laughs> excited. Last
1: second to last
0: there's a oh really second to last
1: yeah there he made a, a movie a couple years later or at least he his part was recorded a couple years later as a holocaust survivor
0: look at you being wrong wikipedia oh the the train in a, a small film
1: this movie was his his last hollywood type role and he was 94
2: yeah <laughs> we've seen him a couple times in this and i and i, when I saw his name i got excited and you know immediately recognized him as soon as he was on screen. It was just like I was so happy to see him like yeah th- he was the he was the only thing for this movie that I was very happy whenever Eli Wallach was on screen
0: yeah no he he's great in it, yeah, still yeah.
1: had charisma, still was oh, holding yeah. on the screen when he was talking in his still scenes, great. you know
0: still great, absolutely. Uh, so I, th- I think our last discussion topic that ties directly into what's happening literally this week, we are recording during the during the great Reddit influx of hashtag GME to the moon. Get that stonk, Diamond Hands. Yeah, Diamond Hands. Don't no paper hands. Cr slash Wall Street bets for context.
2: Or or like watch any news. Like it was just, this was on NPR this morning. They were talking about this
0: oh my god are journalists basking in the wonderfulness of being able to quote like
1: focus on anything else whatsoever
0: (laughs) yeah i was gonna say something really inappropriate but like a really inappropriate reddit username (laughs) it's like it's what they're yeah yeah Yeah. and there's many of them but in any case what's what's literally happening this week is that a reddit a, a subreddit Basically targeted the GameStop stock and have attempted to do the same with Blackberry and AMC. And these are companies on the verge of bankruptcy. And GameStop in particular is historically rare because it was over 100% shorted. I mean, this is designed for hedge funds to make money off of failing companies. And They knew that those shorts would have to be covered if they sent that stock skyrocketing. So it jumped 5,000% from $4 a share. No, I'm sorry, $11 a share for earlier this year uh, or earlier in 2019, all the way to at its peak currently, it was at 350 as we record, which I am looking at because I bought a little bit of it.
2: It's uh aftermarket aftermarket it's at 300 right it's now 300. and it's expected expected uh the the squeeze is supposed to happen next week uh right right and I, 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 I might be following a little bit too much you don't need to go into details yeah
0: you and i both uh,
2: <laughs> the, uh yeah the short of it is ha <laughs> the short of it is that people said publicly we're gonna screw over gamestop to make money and regular folks were like hey we can screw over you to make money and now The rich are upset about that. So Wall Street, money never sleeps.
0: Right. And I think it's so funny that we watched this movie this week, because the line in the movie about speculation being so horrible, and how that is the source of all of our problems and how it is an unsustainable model for an economy moving forward. We are living that right now. Uh, and, and who knows where this is going to end up. But I texted several
2: people this week, of like, I have to watch Wall Street 2 for this podcast, and everything happening on Reddit is so much more entertaining.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, r slash <laughs> Wall Street Bets is infinitely more entertaining than anything in this movie um, and infinitely more problematic. Please don't mm-hmm. take financial advice from them. But I suppose if you did early enough this week, you're paying off student loans and buying houses because that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wanted to call that out. Yeah. I, I think that this movie tries to... I, I think if it had gone deeper, and, and The Big Short does this, again, why it's a much better movie. But if they had gone deeper into why that system is so incredibly broken and why it is designed for hedge funds, by and large, to succeed, whereas the the retail investor gets screwed, that'd be a cooler thread in this movie to explore. It would have some sort of moral point. I feel like this movie doesn't come away with any sort of message. Like, He goes to prison at the end of the last movie. There's a very clear message, and I don't feel like this film has one.
2: Um, No, not at all, because he doesn't go to prison in the end. He's rich again.
1: Because he stole his daughter's money (laughs) and speculated in the stock market with it.
0: Hey, she promised to float him when she was 14. That line where he's like, she promised to back me. and like, she was 14 visiting your dad in prison.
1: <laughs> yeah. What? She was a minor. You put the money in trust for her. It's her money. You screwed her out of it and refused to give the principal back even when you had 11 times that amount. <laughs>
2: right. The last thing I'll say about their horrible relationship is the way that he wins her back initially is saying, you're all I have left. And that was apparently enough for her to be like, you're right. We should have a relationship. <laughs> and then and then later being like, I told you this would happen to him. It's like, but you also let him back in. like, Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Side note. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you, quote unquote, have to forgive a toxic uh-huh. family member because you don't. Right. There are people that you can choose to treat like family and be your family. Hang out with those people, the ones who like you, the ones who treat you with respect. Mm-hmm. It, just because you are blood related doesn't mean that you are obligated to them
0: until death. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's my frustration in part as well at this movie is like, that could have been an angle, right? Her going through this self discovery of like realizing that it's okay to just block him out. I'd still like to see that with more nuance. I'd like her to, you know, I don't I don't know. This movie has none. I got nothing, guys. Yeah. I got nothing.
2: And yeah. my last thought, Natalie Morales was underused. Yeah.
1: Which one is Natalie Morales?
2: She is the unnamed trader that also works for Josh Brolin that mm-hmm. was originally talking to the Chinese investors. Uh she's uh, she's been in 10 million like things. She was in
1: Parks and Rec, right? Yes, she yes. was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah,
1: she was there, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know her. Oh, she's good. She- oh, she's gone. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, I'm done with this movie. Do we, Do we? we? That's how I'm going to end this podcast. Reminder, next week is Future Classics, and it is yes. going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, an even longer movie, but hopefully much more interesting. Yeah, much more entertaining. I think so, and we have a guest on that episode, which will be fun to here but let's go around the table david where can people find you online uh people can find me under the username
2: davla's that is d-a-v-l-u-z find me around and also i just launched the instagram for hit me one more time so if people want to follow that you can now follow us hit me one more pod is our
0: username there right on very good and what about you nicole
1: i take care of our facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go round podcast
0: very good you can find me on twitter at i am Brett Stewart. you can email us Joe. we'd love to hear from you hi hi at mgrpodcast.com let us know if gme took you to the moon or if you have any other thoughts on wall street never sleeps but otherwise we'll see you next week with future classics it's once upon a time in hollywood